Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome to Episode 8, where we begin a four-part series on the doctrine of total depravity. Well, welcome to another episode of Mike and Mike Theology Plus. Uh, We are here to begin in all earnestness the discussion of the doctrine of grace because we weren't before because we didn't start with this topic right now we begin (laughs) yeah seven episodes in right we're starting (laughs) so this is total depravity um the first uh of the um doctrines covered by tulip we went over that acrostic before uh tulip t-u-l-i-p total depravity uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. I will make you feel better. The Arminian version of TULIP is facts, and in the article that I read, they presented them out of order because they think that uh, there's a logical order that's different from the acrostic. So um, there you go, you're an Arminian. <laughs> Poof, you're an Arminian. All right. <laughs> At least your logic is the same. So, uh, Did they start with, oh yeah, they just start with atonement, right? Uh, no, they start with total depravity, actually. Oh, they do? That's oh. just not the first letter so, in their acrostic. Okay. So so maybe I'm an Arminian. Yeah, you're the Arminian too, yeah. Um, Crud. Yeah, that's you. So total depravity, uh, I think we need to first talk about what it's not. Lots of teachers, R.C. Sproul, one of them, will take total depravity, teach on it for about five minutes and say, ah, and I don't like this word because it often gets um, misunderstood. So total depravity, is it everyone is as bad as possible? No. No, it's not that. Um, It's not every person commits every possible sin. Right. Rather, it's that the full person, all of the person, all aspects of the person are touched by the fall. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I separated this in my mind physically and non-physically because I think, uh, we suffer physical ailments that Adam and Eve wouldn't have pre-fall. And then there's non-physical aspects and the non-physical part of us, some people call it the soul, some people call it the mind, some people call it, uh, the spirit. spirit. Yeah. Um, and if we kind of take those the different functions of our non-physical self, I think largely there's an agreement that we can talk about our intellect, our will or volition, and our emotion. And some people will use the word mind for intellect, and then some people will use the word mind for the soul or spirit. So you just gotta be careful, how are we using the word mind? Um, but we would agree that all three of those are touched by the fall. So our brains fell. <laughs> yes, in the physical. That would be under the physical part. Uh, they, our brains can get Alzheimer's, whereas I don't think they could before. And then separately, our minds also fell because physical, not physical. Yeah. There's background there. <laughs> All right, so... Well, and maybe as we're setting out from the start and doing definitions, I've heard R.C. Sproul teach on this, and... Um, he ends up changing some of the terms in tulip, and I've heard him go from tulip to rulip so that the total depravity becomes something along the lines of radical inability, or I think he used radical effacement. Radical corruption. Right. So the total there um, is kind of the breadth 
of the depravity in that it touches all aspects of it and not necessarily the depth of the depravity. We're not all Hitler. And even Hitler... Could have been worse. Could have been worse, yeah. I mean, as, as awful as he was, and I'm not saying there's anything that he did that was good, but perhaps when he was young, he honored his parents in some way, mm-hmm. and he could have not done that instead. Right. So, yeah, it's... Um, I, I would prefer... And I think, I think the original teaching by Calvin deals more with the issue of ability um, because the, all of our faculties as humans have been corrupted and are depraved. And so our ability to, to choose God or to respond to common grace is crippled and our, our ability to see or understand the gospel, much less respond to it, is gone. So... Um, yeah, so I, and I think that's going to come out in this discussion because Arminians, there's not one monolithic type of them. You know, as we've encountered on Facebook in these discussions, pushing back with people recently, um, people that I would classify as Arminians say that they aren't because of total depravity or they don't believe it or mm-hmm. there's there's all kinds of different nuances to it. So... Um, Maybe, and I don't know if, if you find this to be helpful, but maybe this could be a conversation of monergism versus synergism. Um, I think Calvinism and Arminianism are pretty analogous to that, and that's, in my mind, the discussion that is to be had of um, are we totally depraved and unable or not? Right. And I think for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to focus on man's condition so are we able to choose Mm -hmm. because depending on which arminian you're talking to they're going to put the ability to choose in man either in man's innate condition Mm -hmm. or his de facto condition once god gives everyone provenient grace right so um just to kind of keep things separate at least in my mind we're going to put provenient grace we may talk about it some, it may come up, but uh, really with what God does under unconditional election? I think it touches both. Yeah, so yeah, I think, I think it's gonna both. come up today, but we'll see. But yeah, um, so total depravity in my mind is really dealing with man's condition. And to be fair to a lot of Armenians I looked at, because when I was looking up stuff for limited atonement, there's lots of clear thought out opposition that I could listen to to limited atonement. Mm-hmm. And I anticipated the same would be available for total depravity. And what I found was there are a lot of Arminians who would say everything that we're going to say today, or almost everything we're going to say today, because they agree with man's initial condition, what they then do is then they put on top of it God's provenient grace that says, okay, God gives us provenient grace and it, and it helps and enables all people. Almost think of like a uh, you know a, a cake where you put an icing on the top and you just kind of smooth it all over to kind of bring it all up to level. I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. But. Right, and and so what I would say is, yes, a lot of them. I could read this total depravity statement that's put out by some Arminians and probably agree with all of it. But if you then cancel or negate it all by prevenient grace, then in effect, you don't, in my opinion, you don't really believe in total depravity because 
no one actually exists in that state. You believe in the theory of total depravity, right? But in practice, the God has done away with it, which kind of makes you wonder why there's so many verses that deal with total depravity if it's not actually. If you can't go out and find it in the real world because God has covered it over. Right. Although those verses seem to be talking about actual men and not right. theoretical men. Right. So yeah. that and to me, so I think I think you would want to put the prevenient grace discussion more on unconditional election, whereas I think it kind of fits more heavily on the total depravity side because in my mind, Calvinism and total depravity is teaching what man is or is not able to do. And then once they establish that man is unable, then unconditional election will follow kind of logically and from scripture. Um, I, I do think it bridges it. I think I weighed it a little more towards mm -hmm. the T and you weighed it a little more towards yeah. the U. But yeah. yeah, and that's just me drawing boxes around stuff. Right. So. And I draw circles. So. <laughs> All right, so all of this sin, where did sin come from? Um, we the all, devil. No, Eve. Oh, Eve. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's all woman's fault, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so Adam, right? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, well, but that is an interesting point because Paul does make it very clear that Eve was tempted and, and Eve was led astray, and yet the Bible has one voice from start to finish that God comes to Adam and says, you are the one who is responsible right. here. Right. And I would take that to fall in line with covenant theology and Adam is our federal head, and I think that makes the most sense of Romans 5. But mm -hmm. not that that's particularly germane to this discussion, but I do find that interesting. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. Adam sinned, eyes wide open, knew what was going on. Eve made, uh, well, the Bible says she was deceived. So, um, but Adam, before the fall, we're going to whip out some fancy Latin, I think they're Latin uh, phrases, um, was posse non picare and posse picare. Right. So posse, um, you can think of as meaning power to or the possibility to. Able. Able to. Um, non means non or not, or similar to our non uh, prefix as we have in English. And bacare means like flesh, sin. And so what, what these uh, Latin phrases mean is that Adam, it was possible he was able to remain sinless. Or he was able to sin. Mm -hmm. He could. We. He had a choice. We would say he could choose one or the other. He chose um, to sin, and then after that uh, choice, he became non posse non picare, not possible to be not sinful, um, while it, still maintaining posse picare. Said that. If you draw it up on a diagram, mm -hmm. you have like passe picare and or you have picare and non picare, mm -hmm. and then you look at Adam pre-fall, post-fall, which is all of us, mm -hmm. and then us saved but here, and then us glorified, and then us glorified, we are restored to passe non picare, and we get non passe picare. So we're mm -hmm. able not to and not able to. So it it kind of says the same thing, but if right. you draw it out, you can see the same stages 
kind of across the four different categories. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's possible for him to sin. And it's not possible for him to not sin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was like, no, am I? You threw me for that's that's okay. I'm, I'm it's a bit redundant for a man in his fallen state. I'll give I was like, you what that. Am I, what am I missing? No, okay, yeah. all right. So, but then Christ comes along, who is not the progeny of Adam. He doesn't have Adam as his federal head because he's virgin born, um, and so he is as um, God the Son, non posse peccare. Uh, it's not possible for him to sin, and we could have a long podcast on just that. We're not going to. We're gonna. <laughs> just like where we do a cut yeah cut. <laughs> all right and we're back so out of that what we're claiming to begin with is it's not possible for adam or adam's progeny to be sinless it's not possible for us to not be to be sinners and so i think right here we want to deal with those who might disagree okay. so there was an, a guy that lived a long time ago um, named Pelagius, who said that, oh, we got it wrong. Uh, we're born good, and that Adam's fall didn't really uh, directly affect us. He was just a bad example for us. And so as we grow up, we live in this long line of bad examples, and so we see our parents being bad examples, and so we're also bad examples. But we're actually perfect when we're born. He also believed in that God created each individual soul on the spot as babies were conceived. And so part of his reasoning was that God couldn't create a sinful soul. Um, so, um, and so he believes that they could be perfect and or turn to God on your own. And so we would disagree with that. And I'm going to read it. I'm not going to give the full reason why, because that is the, the, the majority of the podcast. Then there's also uh, partial Pelagianism. And I am not a, I'm a, a, a dualist. I'm not a tripart, tripartist or however that word is pronounced. So I believe in a physical, non-physical. Some folks hold to a physical body and then a non-physical that's in two parts, your soul and your spirit. They get that primarily out of the scripture that says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut asunder both the sword and uh, the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow. Other than that one verse, I can think of no other verse that puts the soul and the spirit in opposition to each other. In fact, they're used synonymously, synonymous, in the same way, synonymously. <laughs> throughout the Bible. Um, so, I, and taking the, the scripture, it, it seems like Paul, being Paul, is doing hyperbole there. Um, even able to, you know, cut the sword and the, uh, the soul and the spirit, so. So you mean the writer of Hebrews heard Paul say that? Did I say Paul? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry. There's background there too. <laughs> uh, actually, I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews, I just, uh, I just slipped. But would you say it's Pauline or is it Pauline? I would say it's Apollocene. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, but those who do hold to a soul and spirit and body, some of them will say our spirit is untouched by the fall. And so it's like there's this island 
in within us is not touched. So you'd say partial depravity instead of total <laughs> depravity. Um, these people are known as semi-Pelagianist semi or partial Pelagianist. Uh, both of these were um, decided were heresies. Yep. Um, so I'll turn to our local historian. You want to talk about uh, so yeah, real quick, Pelagius. I think it was Jerome who said he was an Irish monk. Uh, if I have my dates correct, I think he was born in the same year as Augustine. Travels to Rome as an adult and is disgusted when he sees the licentiousness that's being practiced by the church there, and is particularly scandalized when he reads Augustine's comment um, to praying to God. I think it's in his Confessions where he says. God, um, command what you will and grant what you command, or maybe grant what you command and command what you will. And, and he says, that doesn't make any sense. We have to be able to, if God says, I'm commanding to do X, then we must be able to do X. And so there's, there's a decent bit of back and forth. Um, initially, he actually uh, is held up as orthodox. There was a council of Dia, Diaspolis, I think. I think it's also called the Council of Lud in 415. Um, it seems to me to be a little bit of they didn't know the right questions to ask because only three years later in the Council of Carthage, he is, in fact, condemned. Uh, and then that condemnation is ratified or upheld at the Council of Ephesus in 431. So they say, no. Basically, Pelagius was saying, we can do it without grace. And, and I read that there was the Eastern Church had their own council, but didn't condemn him. And uh, the the church at the time said, "Well, it's just because there weren't witnesses there to condemn them." So there's a little bit of a people who still are pro Pelagius um, say, "Look, the Eastern Church didn't condemn him," and those who are against say, "Well, yeah, it's because people didn't go to test to testify against him." So. Uh, I'm not that familiar with these councils. That's as um, familiar because I read this other article that we're trying okay. to talk about. Well, I will say uh, when you get into what happened at some of the councils, you do get some kind of funky and weird <laughs> behavior. Because um, it's not always theological. Sometimes it's political. Oh, I would say at least half of what goes on at these councils. I mean, you, you hear about the robber council and... You know, there's one time where a group is on the way and they're late, so the their opposition's already there. So they convene the council, condemn them, excommunicate them, and then close it before the other group arrives. And then they arrive and go, "What are you doing? We're going to hold our..." And it just, it's craziness. Uh, there's a good one with Athanasius coming before Constantine and a lot of theater. You know, you've got Cyril and Nestorius, and was Nestorius even a Nestorian? So. Uh, yeah, there, there's lots of good odd stuff that goes on. I, I would say that he wasn't guilty of what they say that he was, but we are far afield from total depravity. So, um, yeah, weird stuff happens at the councils. What you're saying, I've never heard before, but sounds very That's reasonable. That's what uh, Lewis Lofton says. No, I'm not arguing yeah, by yeah, saying yeah, I haven't yeah. heard it. That's just the, those councils. All aren't. I'm saying for my defense is if that's wrong, it's because I listened to this guy, uh, Lewis gotcha. Laughlin. Well, so. Um, yeah, so, but that sounds very reasonable for right. something that could have happened. Right. Yeah. All right, and then did you want to talk about semi-Pelagianism? Yeah, um, I, I think there may be a couple different things that are called semi-Pelagianism. The one that I was researching was basically saying 
we have the ability to choose God initially. And so the initial work of faith is our own. And then thereafter, growing in faith is something that requires God's help, which I find to be interesting and almost exactly backwards from our position. Right. right? Not, not, yeah. that, not that we grow in faith on our own, that, right. we're, not, that, we're, that we're not helped, but that I, I would say our sanctification is a cooperative process Correct. where God works in and through us. But Synergistic. Our, our, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with synergism in sanctification mm-hmm. uh, and monergism in justification, which I guess is kind of what they're saying, but the monergism is all on our side right. in the one that I saw. Anyway, um, as far as I could tell, and again, this is, this is a little later than most of the reading I've done, but that was condemned at the Second Council of Orange in 529. So um, the, the church early on was actually very consistently Augustine, uh, even in the councils, they seem to really uphold it and love Augustine, even as throughout the Middle Ages, they slipped away from his firm grasp on justification by faith alone mm-hmm. through grace alone. Um, they still like him. They still like Yeah, it, it, it's kind of this weird thing where we love Augustine. I haven't read him. I don't really know what he says, but we love Augustine. So um, they, they did, at council after council, continue to say things mm-hmm. that were very Augustinian. So just to bring this home, uh, and why would we be talking about this? I, I will say in our local area in Charleston, there is at a well-known Christian school, which will remain unspoken on camera, <laughs> that there was a, yeah, if you, you see me out of camera, I'll tell you. There, there at least was, if not currently is, a Bible teacher who teaches partial Pelagianism, that he, he's a tripartist, He's uh, spirit, soul, and body, and he believes that the spirit is unfallen, and that, and that is how you are able to choose. You know, that's where your ability to choose from comes from, which um, is has been at least in the councils yeah. uh, declared a heresy. All right, um, so real quickly, and I'll link this. Uh, in the description there, I looked for some defenses of Pelagianus. Uh, I only found this one. Admittedly, this guy is pretty terrible. Um, so if is you're it like- David Brandos? No, <laughs> no. Um, so I, I, like I was telling you, I think there's probably gotta be someone who is in favor of Pelagius that is at least better at using logic and stuff and would, would come with the more recent. I, I feel like this is almost like a caricature. So what maybe, you're saying is we're trying to be fair and this is as fair as you were able to research? Right. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So he goes through kind of a, a background on what is Pelagius, Pelagianism and who what was Pelagius, what did he do? Then he sets out these five tenets of Pelagianism. God has decreed to save through Jesus Christ those fallen um, Christ died for all men, not just the elect, but uh, no one except the believer has remission of sin. So extend application from last time. Man can neither of himself nor of his free will do anything truly good until he's born again. All good deeds or movements in the regenerate must be ascribed to the grace of God, but his grace is not irresistible. Those who are incorporated into Christ by a true faith have the power given them by assisting grace of the Holy Spirit to preserve in the faith, but it is possible for a believer to fall in grace. You mean persevere? What did I say? Preserve. Yeah, preserve. 
That's like the stuff you put on your bread. Yeah. yeah. Tasty. Yeah, it's good. Um, so then he goes into a section on why was Pelagius right? And so I have uh, those in, in our local study group, I color code stuff. So green is good and red is bad. <laughs> Unless it's in the Bible. Right. Yeah, right. He, he uses a red pen in the Bible. It doesn't mean the same thing. Well, it still means bad, but it's like where someone makes a bad choice. Like okay. this is sinful. Like, yeah. you You're not arguing with God. Right, yeah. yeah. Or the, the writers. So he starts out saying Protestants claim the Bible is the sole authority of God. Got it. And considering the hostility of both Protestants and Catholics towards Pelagius, we must turn to the Bible. Uh, okay, I'm there. I actually taught on that this morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so his first thing is Adam was created liable to death and would have died had he, uh, whether he had sinned or not. Now, this I don't know why this weighs in directly on this topic, but he's saying that Adam was created where he could physically die. I have some probably not mainstream views on that, um, but I don't see how this plays in into what we're discussing, so I'm not going to discuss this. Um, but he, it, he does in this paragraph say, it seems God never intended humans to be immortal, which throws away any idea of life after death, bodily resurrection, into question. So it, from the get-go, this We've guy... we got other problems. Yeah, this guy, that's why I'm saying this is probably not the best representative, but it was the only representative I could find. Um, so why are we talking about salvation if you don't believe there's life after death? Um, salvation under what? Yeah. Uh, um, then he goes on to say, the fact is that Jesus himself never mentions Adam or any fall in the gospel. Well, I have several references here where Jesus talks about the sinfulness of man. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, lest your righteousness succeed that of the scribes and Pharisees, which would have been, it's impossible for you know, in that day and age, people look at him as nigh on to perfection. You will in no case enter in the kingdom of heaven. John six forty four, which I'm sure we'll get to, says, you know, unless uh, a person gets drawn, they can't come to me. Luke 18, which we taught on on Wednesday night, um, there's a rich young ruler. He says, go sell all your gifts. And then and he's like, goes away. And he says, well, you know, it's more easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven and the disciples were like oh, how can that be like and they can't be done <laughs> right you know how can anyone be in this so they are shocked by the the force of his statement and he says but with god all things are possible so uh, mark 7 from within out of the heart of man come and this is a maybe the longest vice list that i know of that jesus says jesus says yeah come evil thoughts Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Why? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me this, okay, this is a completely unrelated argument. I don't want us to get off course, but frequently in our society today, you'll hear stuff like, well, Jesus never said homosexuality was wrong. And one, I take issue with that because I think if you go to Matthew 19, he sets out a positive example that excludes a negative example. But two, he was talking to Jews mm -hmm. who knew the law. He didn't have to, like he didn't, he, he, there's a lot of stuff that he may not have addressed directly because there was a common right. presuppositional understanding of God has spoken. And if it's back here, and by the way, Jesus is the word, then we, like he, he doesn't have to reiterate everything in the New Testament 
in order for us to think. If it's not broken, you didn't have to fix it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so it, this guy gets worse though. Oh goodness. Um, he says the entire. You didn't prep me for this. <laughs> the entire concept of God sacrificing His Son, uh, an innocent person. Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. So then he goes. We will get to that quote. Then he says the Apostle Paul invented this entire concept of Adam causing humans to lose immorality, uh, immortality. They never had in the beginning and was so. Now he's and he's going to go on to say that he's going to pit Paul against Jesus and say that Paul and Jesus have different understandings. I'm, but let's go back up to his first thing. The Bible is the sole authority on God. So if you're going to throw out all of the Pauline New Testament and then misinterpret Jesus, it's going to be easy for you to make your case. <laughs> so Adam was mortal. There is no life after death. Jesus and Paul... Are in opposition. I mean, Paul is making stuff up. In op- I mean, so yeah, this. Like I said, I'm not sure we can get to the defense of plagiarism. <laughs> I know. Um, he says, even before the coming of Christ, there were some men who are sinless. I guess he's thinking of Enoch, maybe Daniel, Joseph. We get these these men where God says something, you know, the scriptures say something, you know, and he was, you know, there's no fault found in him. Okay. What did, what, what did those passages mean? Uh, obviously I don't think they meant what this guy thought they meant in light of our other passages. Um, I'm not even gonna read some of this cause it's just, it's just whack. Um, well, uh, I'm not, Arguing. Yeah, this brings up one of the most thorny issues for Christian dogma in that all of those prior to Jesus are burning in hell for the mere fact that they were born before Jesus was ever conceived. Like, That's not what Christians believe. Like, where do you get this stuff? So, um, but at least he has a hell. Yeah. I'm sure. But I'm sure that's only a theoretical straw man for him. Yeah, um, infants at their birth are, are in the same state as Adam before the fall. Um, you know that okay so that is interesting because I think that becomes a little bit of a tough issue that we do end up having to deal with and I'm not sure we can come to a full set of answers conclusively but um, I, I, I think people kind of tend to want to drift in that direction and have some kind of an age of accountability or all infants who die in infancy are saved universally and um, that that I think is not for today but probably a good issue to delve into a little bit more because I I'm not sure that that lends itself to easy pat cut and dry answers yeah I don't think it does either I don't think he's right yeah. but um, something that somewhere in these pages I'm not gonna go back to find it um, there's one other point he makes where in the law it says, you know, you can't punish a child or a grandson for the father's sin. And vice versa. Right. Yeah. And so he's saying, you know, well, how could Adam sin? Why is God judging us for that? And that's on one view, that's not even what we're saying. We're saying Adam's sin's natural consequence fell to all of us 
because we were in Adam, and he's our federal head. Not that, not well, that, that passage isn't dealing with covenant headship and representation. Right. It's dealing with he's individual the justice and culture. So. Right. But um, that's not even. It's not as though we we come out sinless and and God is going oh. But Adam, your great 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 grandfather was a sinner, so boom, you're you're getting judged too. That's not that's it's a misrepresentation of what we're saying. Yeah. And then finally, he says that the law is the way to heaven. Um, that uh, throughout Jesus' ministry, he talks about um, you know one jot or one tittle won't fall away from the the law until all be fulfilled. Um. Yes, yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> like there's the rest of that story. Yeah. Um, but it seems like he missed, you know, well, I guess if you throw Paul out, you don't have to listen to Paul in Galatians who, who says that the law is a schoolmaster telling us that we are not perfect. Like that's, there's many purposes of the law. It's not just to tell us that we're bad, but that is one of the primary purposes of it is that when we are put a mirror in front of us, we go, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I'm not a good person. Um, any, or I'll just say he confuses the passages of talking about good works that a believer might do once they are saved with good works that might merit salvation. Those are two different categories. Yeah. So. And I know Galatians is your favorite book, so I bet you can probably quote two twenty one. Uh, I'm I'm not the I can tell you uh, some probably what it's saying, but I'm not I, I won't dare to quote it. Says I do not I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And there's elsewhere where Paul says, By the works of the law will no flesh be justified. Mm -hmm. So that okay. Yeah. So can we uh, and quite honestly, are we really dealing with Pelagianism? Well, I I, yes. We are not like we're not gonna take it up. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, There are Arminians out there who are Pelagius, Pelagian, Pelagianist, or semi-Pelagianist, um, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I don't think that's the bulk of them. So the people, like the podcast I listened to from Remonstrance, they would go, yeah, you just totally misrepresented our views. I'm not trying to represent your mm-hmm. views. There are a lot of Armenians who would, like we said at the beginning, agree with everything we're about to say about the man, and then they add prevenient grace to it mm-hmm. or, or some type of grace to it. So, but there are those out there that I, I wouldn't want to just skip over that view. It's out there. So that really comes down to, does man have the free will on his own to choose to follow God or not? Mm-hmm. And we would say, no, he doesn't. Anything Agreed. you want to add on those? No, I think we're, we've kind of beaten that dead horse. Good. And... Even if you don't agree with the teachings of Pelagius, um, if you have a better resource of someone who is defending it better than Lewis uh, Laughlin, then I'm happy to, to take a look at that. You can comment yeah. in either our video cast or our uh, podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode, our first on the doctrine of total depravity. Tune in next time for part two. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus. 
the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 